Welcome to At the Crossroads Church weekly podcast. Our hope is that you will grow in your walk with God and be blessed and encouraged in your daily lives as you listen. You can visit us at our website at atthecrossroads.ca. So why don't we stand and we're going to pray before we get into the Word. Father, we thank you for your Word. God, we thank you that it has the power to transform us, to change us, to move us to new places, God. We're so thankful. We ask that you would speak to our hearts today, that you would change our lives by your word. And all God's people said, amen. 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 So uh, we're doing a series. We're on a series called Unashamed. And it's really really about evangelism and how to share our faith. So we're on week number three. And uh, evangelism to me is something that I've always done, and I've seen it as something that's more simple than others, okay? Sometimes we look at evangelism as an event or a scheduled time where we go out to witness or share our faith, and there is time for that, and sometimes we do schedule time to do that, but it's more of a lifestyle. I believe evangelism should be a lifestyle, and I think the verse that sums this up here is um, in Isaiah chapter 12, verse 4, and this is an Old Testament scripture, and this really summarizes what evangelism is. Evangelism is sharing your faith, of course, and it says, And you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make his deeds known among the people, proclaim that he is exalted. Okay, so we'll go to the next slide here. This is a summary here of evangelism. Number one is we want to give thanks to God. So, you know, instead of worrying about what you're sharing or, you know, how you're sharing, why don't you focus on just giving thanks to God publicly? Right? Just saying, you know, I, you know share a testimony. I call upon his name. You know, take time to say, you know, when you're in a group, and this is sometimes where you're in a group with people and you say, you know what, we're going to have a meal. Hey, would it be okay if I say a prayer? I want to give thanks to the Lord. Right? That's a form of evangelism when you live openly. You give thanks to God publicly. You call upon his name. You make known his deeds among the people. And so one of the things I talked about last week is how, you know, Jesus said to his disciples, I want you to tarry in Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high so that you might be, what's the word? Witnesses to me in Jerusalem and the rest of the world. And so we're to be witnesses. A witness is to say, basically, the job of a witness is to sit in the witness booth and to say, this is what I've seen and this is what I've heard. And so one of the things we need to learn to do is to make his deeds known among the people. What has God done in your life? And to talk about it openly. Scripture says, he who is ashamed of me before men, I'll be ashamed of before my Father in heaven. I don't want God to be ashamed of me. How many, how many want that? And so we need to, as believers, we need to make known his deeds among the people. Share a story. You know, I share my story with people that I meet. And I talk to people about my daughter who was healed of arthritis. And and I just tell that story and I give glory and say, you know, it's because I'm a Christian and I prayed and, and Jesus healed my daughter. I share of how I was depressed and how I struggled with uh, you know, mental illness at one point and how God came and healed me and changed me and transformed me, delivered me from drugs. I tell my story because you know what? Nobody can argue with your story. And sometimes, you know, the, see what people are looking for is they're looking for life change. So when you give thanks to God publicly, when you call upon his name, when you make known his deeds among the people, right? Th- there's power in that. There's power in that. You can't argue with that. Number four, to proclaim his name is 
exalted over your life, okay? And, and to me, this is a summary of evangelism, coming out of the closet. We hear that term, don't we? Christians need to come out of the closet. Like, we have to come to the closet. This is who I am, and I'm not ashamed of it. So many people in society, they're coming out of their closets or whatever issues they have. This is who I am. Well, as believers, we need to do the same thing. We have to come out of the closet. We have to say, enough with, with fear of rejection, enough with what people think, because you know what? I'm going to be who God's called me to be. And you know, there's something attractive about that. And my wife, you guys know my wife, she's very bold. And she was always sharing her faith on the schoolyard. And so, you know... So one guy came up to her and he says, why did you swear once? And she looked at him and she said, why did not you pray once? And he just kind of like, all right, okay. But if we're bold about our faith, if we're confident about in whom we believe and we don't shy away and we, we, we put our shoulders and say, I'm proud to be a Christian, people will begin to say, I, I want what you have because you have a confidence, you have a boldness that I don't have. You have an assurance of who you are that I don't have. And I think what the enemy wants to do is he puts a spirit of fear on us so we don't move forward. You know? And I learned, uh, you know, when I was in Bible school in St. Catharines years ago, I used to let, lead up the evangelism. And uh, I noticed that as soon as I would go to share my faith, I'd be crippled with fear. Because believe it or not, I'm more of an introvert. I didn't want to talk to people in general, never mind share my faith. And so I'd be crippled with fear. And I learned that I had to make a decision to say, I'm going to push through. And I would take a step and I'd say something and that fear would dissipate. It's a smoke screen that's sent by the enemy. And the key in sharing your faith is understanding that Satan does not want your story of God's glory to get out. And so he'll put a smoke screen of fear. But God has not given us a spirit of fear. But love, power, and sound mind. So we can push back and we can push through that and share our story anyway, right? And so we have to understand that the disciples, the early church, um, they were told, they said, Jesus said, tarry in Jerusalem until you're endued with power to be witnesses. Witnesses of what? Well, witnesses of the resurrection, right? It's a resurrection that changes everything, okay? So we look at Acts chapter 2 verse 32, and it says, God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. Now, as we don't live in the first century, so we're not witnesses of the physical resurrection of Jesus. We're witnesses of the power that's released because of the resurrection of Jesus. So this is something we've got to understand. Now, he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand, and the Father, as he had promised, he gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us just as you see and hear today. And so we have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's been poured out upon us. Isn't that a good promise? Okay? So Jesus' miracle ministry was known in those days. People knew about it. Okay? People knew that Jesus was doing miracles. Some thought he was a prophet. Some believed he was the Son of God, but they, they, they knew and they understood and accepted this. The death of Jesus was known and understood, but the resurrection was not understood nor accepted. And so the apostles had to come and say, this is what happened. Jesus rose from the dead. This is the key to the Christian faith, that our God no longer is in the grave, right? Other religious 
groups and religious religions, their God, their prophets are all in the grave, right? But ours is not. He's been resurrected. And so in Acts chapter 2, verse 22, Peter makes mention of this in the first sermon. He says, people of Israel, listen, God publicly endorsed Jesus, the Nazarene, by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. But God knew what would happen, and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to the cross and killed him, okay? Let's go to the next slide. But God, say but God, released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in its grip. And so that's the power of the Christian faith is that Jesus is not dead, he's alive. And he ascended to the Father, and the Father said, here's the Holy Spirit, and Jesus baptized us or poured out the Holy Spirit upon our lives. It's a powerful thing, okay? Now, in Romans chapter 8, verse 11 to 14, here's a promise. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in, look at your neighbor and say, you. We got to understand this. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. Point at your neighbor again and say, in you. Okay? All right? And just as God raised Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. So God wants to give you life. And that word life means, it means to, to make alive, to invigorate, to give strength and energy. Right? So God gives you strength and energy and power so that you can live a life that glorifies Him, so you can deal with your depression, you can deal with your sin, you can deal with your sickness, you can deal with all the, the things that bog you down so that the whole world will look and say, I want what you have. You have freedom. And that is what evangelism is. How do we know the resurrection is real? How do we know the resurrection is real? It's the testimony. Go to the next slide, please. The testimony of the apostles, okay? They were eyewitnesses, and there were accounts, right? And then secondly, the testimony of a changed life. How many here have the testimony of a changed life? That means that God has come, and the Spirit of God has done a work in you. There's some proofs I wanted to just go through briefly here about the resurrection. Number one is the empty tomb. You know, the, the fact that the tomb was empty is proof that Jesus rose from the dead, okay? Now, some people that would argue this would say that Jesus' body was stolen. They would say that, you know, maybe the women, the disciples, went to the wrong tomb. They, they have these kind of funny arguments. But the problem with this is that the Jews and the Romans had no motive to steal the body. In fact, they would have produced the body to shut down Christianity. They would have said, oh, no, we got the body. See, the Jews and the Romans didn't steal the body or they would have produced it because they were terrified of the way. They were terrified of this thing growing, okay? So we know that the Jews and the Romans didn't hide the body. The apostles were too cowardly. They were hiding in a room. They were afraid that they were going to go to the cross next, so they were hiding. So they didn't have the courage nor the strength to overcome the Roman officers. The second argument, 
The women who found the tomb empty had earlier watched Jesus being laid there. They went and they prepared the body so they knew where the tomb was. It wasn't like they showed up at the wrong tomb. Okay? And even if they had gone to the wrong tomb, the, the Sanhedrin would have and could have produced the body and said, no, 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 he's over here, right? And so it just, you know, there's no way. The body was gone. The tomb was empty. The tomb is empty. Amen? Amen? The second proof for Christianity here is the woman's eyewitness. Back in those days in biblical times, we have to understand in the ancient world that women were not credible witnesses. This is the way the society was. Women were second-class citizens. Now, I love Jesus because he came and he dismantled that, and he elevated women to their rightful place, right? He came and he defended the woman who was about to be stoned. He, he, he let women follow him and minister with him. He, he, just, he was ahead of his time. He was, he was awesome, okay? But he allowed women to minister with him, and he, appa- he appeared to Mary Magdalene first. He appeared to the women first, basically saying, against your system, I'm going to use witness women as credible witnesses. And the male gospel writers had no choice but to report what would be embarrassing to them, this act of God, right, because of how it happened. And the women came and they gave testimony. We saw Jesus. We saw Jesus. And then later they saw Jesus, of course, right? The women eyewitnesses, that's number two. Number three, Jesus' apostles had found new courage, okay? They didn't have courage before, and suddenly they had courage. They were hiding behind locked doors, and they were in fear for their life. But something changed them from cowards to preachers. Something moved them from the back rooms to the streets to preach the gospel. What was it? Jesus appeared to them, okay? And he said, I'm here, I've been resurrected, now go in my name. And he gave them the courage to do it, all right? Number four, the change life of James and other. Now, James was actually the physical brother of Jesus, and he had doubts about Jesus. And he began to follow Jesus after the resurrection because Jesus appeared to him. Now, could you imagine how many have siblings Okay, your older brother appears to you and says, I'm God, right? You would suddenly believe, right? And so now James, who was wavering in his faith, became a founding apostle, wrote the book of James, and actually went to death on the cross. Not on the cross, sorry. He went to death, though. I think he was hung or stoned. I can't remember. You know, 11 of them died, so I can't remember how they all died, but his life was given up. Now, proof of the resurrection... Uh, large crowds of eyewitnesses. There was large crowds, more than 500 eyewitnesses saw the risen Christ at the same time. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 6, we see this is explained by Paul. Okay, And today, uh, psychologists say it would be impossible for large crowds of people to have had the same hallucination at once. Okay, So they're like this. They must have saw something and experienced something. Okay, The apostles saw him. Uh, they touched him, they watched him eat food, they had fellowship with him before he ascended into heaven, and when he ascended into heaven, all of the sightings stopped happening. There was all these sightings before he ascended into heaven. So there's lots of evidence that Jesus rose from the dead. Proof number six is the conversion of Paul, right? 
Paul, who was Saul, was persecuting the church, throwing men and women in prison for the gospel. He was like, I know we're going to shut this thing down. And then suddenly Jesus appears to him and he goes from being a persecutor to being persecuted. And he gets, he, he ends up being flogged three times. He ends up being beaten. He's shipwrecked. He's stoned. He lives through poverty and all these years of ridicule. Why? Because he had a complete transformation because he saw the living Christ, okay? Proof number seven, the early church died for Jesus. The tradition says that 10 of the original apostles died as martyrs for Christ, as did Apostle Paul. Hundreds, perhaps thousands of early Christians died in the Roman arenas and went to prison for their faith because they knew that Jesus rose from the dead. And today, in this century, we, we can't be eyewitnesses of the resurrection, but we are witnesses of the power of the resurrection. And we know in whom we have believed that our life has been changed, right? And so, we know that when we call upon the name of the Lord, we will be saved. And I want to finish with this verse here. Um, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 to 16. Because, um, again, I, I prefer the concept of lifestyle evangelism versus scheduled evangelism. And kind of the way to explain that is, how many have ever gone fishing? Let me see your hands. Now, you can stand on shore with a, a pole and you can cast it out. You put the bait on the hook, you cast it out, then you reel it in, then you put the bait on the hook, you cast it out, you reel in. It's a lot of work. Okay, my dad took me and my brothers on a charter once. So we went out in Lake Ontario, Bay of Quinte area, and we went on this charter. And he put six lines out on the back of his boat, yeah. put the bait on it, and then trolled, just kind of moved. So the boat was moving, and the lines were kind of going dragging behind with hooks and with bait. And we sat and we talked about the weather, and we talked about the Blue Jays, and we talked about this, and we talked about that, and we just watched those lines. And when we saw them bend. We reel them in, put new bait on the hook, the hooks, cast it back, and let the boat do the work. It was a lot easier. And we were just shooting the breeze, doing our stuff, and the boat did the fishing, pretty much. But when Exactly. You pull it in. And so we ended up going in and we had, we, it was walleye season. And we had like uh, two garbage bags full of walleye, big ones like this. We had like, there was six of us. I think we had six each. And it was just like constantly like this. If we were standing on shore, we would not have had that kind of result. So when you think of your life, living your life in such a way that you're dragging these fishing lines full of bait, people are grabbing a hold of it. And it's less effort because it's a lifestyle. It's not a scheduled event. Does that make sense? And Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 and 16 says this. You are the light of the world. Point at your neighbor and say, you are the light of the world. It's, you are the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden, no one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. And you know how many times have we done that because of society? I'm guilty of putting my light under a basket. If you're not, I know I have been. 
because you don't want to offend and you know everybody thinks differently and you know you're you know you have these ideas that you know people won't understand so you just kind of feel I'll just keep it under the bowl and 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 Jesus is saying no one hides a light under the basket instead a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house in other words you're pulling your lines behind you're trolling them behind the boat okay in the same way let your good deeds say good deeds Shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly fathers. Okay? That's what he's saying. In other words, always have your lines in the water. Always have your lines trolling behind your boat, behind your life. So how do we let our light shine before man? We go back here. We give thanks to God publicly. We call upon his name openly. We make known his deeds among the people. This is what God has done in my life. And we proclaim that his name is exalted in our lives. It's that simple. That is the starting point. And, and the enemy keeps us from doing that because, well, you know, it's not the right moment. And, you know, I don't want to say too much. And I, well, just be yourself. Just come out of the closet. Be who you are. And I'm preaching to myself. Same person I am on Sunday, I need to be on Monday. And Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. And it's so easy to just, okay, Sunday is church day. And then the rest of the week, I'm just going to kind of hide under the bushel. Right? But what would happen if we all just went, and, and not being rude or arrogant or preachy, but said, this is who I am. God is awesome. I had an encounter. This is my story. And let people think what they want. We can start a movement. Get our own flag. I mean, I don't care. But it's time. I mean, it's time for the church just to just come back to the basics. This is who I am. I'm not hiding. I'm not wearing a mask. I'm going to be who I am called to be. Amen? I know it's a simple message, but it's just something we need to hear. We have to remind ourselves that evangelism is something as simple as dealing with the fear of rejection and just being ourselves, who God has made us to be. All right? But we need, to, we need to face the fear of rejection. We need to be willing to face it straight on. And so how do we overcome fear? The same way the first century overcame fear. Okay? Because they dealt with fear too. I mean, would you not be afraid if you were out sharing about Jesus and they came and they said, we're going to flog you and beat you if you keep talking about him? That hasn't happened yet here in Canada. Hopefully it doesn't go that far. But... This is, this is what was happening. Look what they did in Acts chapter 4. And now, O Lord, hear their threats. And give us your servant, give us your servants great boldness. To say, God, give us boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after this prayer, the meeting place shook. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they preach the word of God with boldness. You know? When we're filled with the Holy Spirit, perfect love casts out fear. And that's why there's, there's no substitute for your time alone with God in the secret place. Because as you, the love of God is flowing, the presence of God, that fear gets driven. Perfect love, and he's perfect love, will drive out the fear in your life. And I just think of a story as I'm sharing this. 
a preacher came to Kingston when I was living there, and he came and he preached on the love of God, and there was a time of ministry at the end, and I got prayer, and the presence of God was so powerful that it just felt light as a feather. How many know what I'm feeling? Just a, I was running a business. I was stressed out. I had all this on my shoulder, and then I was like la-la land in the presence of God, and we came home, and the next day, a salesperson came to the door and was talking to us about something. I don't remember, and, and I started sharing. Just, it just came out of me you know, God loves you and, you know, you got to experience his love and all this stuff. And they started to get really engaged and I shared the God and it, there was no fear whatsoever because the more we spend time in the love of the father, the more we have to pour out to others. But if the Satan can keep us from our devotion, from our worship, from our secret place with God, then the fear begins to creep in. And the next thing you know, we're under the bushel. We're under the bushel. And it goes for me as a pastor as much as it does for you guys. We have to say, just like the early church, God, give us your spirit. Fill us with your spirit that we'll have boldness to go and preach the gospel. Okay? And um, so this week, I want you to really ask for God to give you opportunities to give thanks to God publicly, to call upon his name openly. It might be one-on-one with someone, to make his deeds known. Okay? And to proclaim that his name is exalted. You know, <clears throat> when I was in St. Catharines, just a couple stories. Uh, we were doing evangelism. I was part of um, Peter Ungern's church. And they kind of put me in charge of the evangelism team. So we got a bunch of Bible school students together. And we'd go out and do evangelism. I was at one time and I was handing out these little tracts. And this little paper said, God's promises for your life. And so I would walk up to people and say, hey, would you, do you want to know what God's promises are for you? And I'd give them a pamphlet. So I walked up this, one guy walked up to me and he says, had a cigarette in his mouth, and he said, do you have a light? And I said, no, but I have the light. Do you want to know God's promises for your life? And he stepped back and he spit right in my face. Now, for those of you who know my story, I, before I was a Christian, I was, I, I, for a, I was into drugs. I was, I, was, I was a fighter. I was into martial arts. I, no one spit in my face. because I, I didn't care who you were. I, we would be MMA. You know, we'd be right on the ground. And, and that was, the spit hit my face. And I was just like, something. And then I felt the love of God come. And I turned to him and I said, listen. I said, God loves you and I love you. And, you know, and I can't remember what I said. But it was, and then I walked away. And as I walked away, he followed me, and, he, and I thought, now I'm in trouble, because he's following me now. And he said, hey, why would you let me spit in your face like that? I saw it when you were up. Why did you turn? What, what's going on? And I said, well, it's the love of God. And we got talking. And I got to share the gospel, and I shared my testimony, how God set me free. And then he said, I want to I hear more. And so we got together a second time, and then we started working out and doing weights together. And after three or four weeks, he gave his heart to Christ. And then he started coming to church with me, and he started getting discipled. And there was a process, but you see, I had to make a choice to let my light shine when I wanted the darkness to come out in the moment. Right? And, and, and that's why, like, our deeds... Uh, can, can be the greatest witness to people. You know, when I was working as a machinist and this guy hated me, he hated me for my faith because his wife was a Christian and he would not convert to Christianity. He'd harassed her, so she divorced him. They got divorced. They were separated. It was a bad situation. Well, actually, he left her, but he was so angry with her because 
she wouldn't compromise her faith. And then I came and I had to work with the guy. And I was, hey, you know, Jesus loves you. And he's like, I don't want to hear about Jesus. He was so mad. And, you know, in a machine shop, as a machinist, you always have to take your jewelry off. So I had jewelry. I had a nice, really nice wedding ring. And I uh, took it off and I put it in my toolbox and I had it locked in a certain place. It should have been locked. It wasn't. And it went missing. And I knew, I knew he took it. And, um, and I had to forgive. And then later, we were given, at the end of the month, we were given all these tools. We were given cutter bits and all this stuff for our jobs. We, we were allocated from the company. And when they were gone, you had to buy your own. And so I had all that in a drawer and all that was stolen. And I knew that he took it. I could tell. And so I was like, Lord, what am I going to do? Because I'm going to, you know, bring this guy to, you know, before the, you know, the, the union. Do I call the boss? What do I do? And the Holy Spirit said, no, give him more. I said, what are you talking about? And he brought me to the scripture. Jesus said, if someone takes your shirt, give him your coat also. And I'm like, that's crazy. I'm not doing that. And so the Lord spoke to me. So I took some of my more expensive tools, and I took them, and I brought them over. I said, hey, I want to give you something. I just really want to bless you. And I gave him these tools, and I walked away. You know, two days later, I went in my toolbox. Everything was back there. <laughs> and not only that, he sat down with me within that same week and said, tell me more. I want to understand why my wife believes in Jesus. Tell me why you believe in Jesus. And, and I got to share the gospel, and it opened him up. See, Jesus doesn't just say this stuff, turn the other cheek, give him your coat, go the extra mile, to say you're a pansy. He's saying that to say that you're tougher than the world system and you're not willing to bend. You're going to love even when people hate. Amen? And so that's the power of the gospel. Amen. Did you guys get something out of this today? Awesome. Praise the Lord. Thank you for listening. We hope that you enjoyed our message. If you are in the Quinty West area, we would love to have you visit us on Sunday morning at 24 Dundas Street West, Trenton, Ontario. Check out our service times on our website at atthecrossroads.ca.